If you're just joining us, we've been going every week through this Gospel of John, taking a look at how John gives us a glimpse of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And John, if you'll remember, if you've been with us, John is writing so that we would believe in him. He's writing with a bias that you and me might believe. And at our point in the Gospel tonight, we come to a point where Jesus is about to have a meal with some of his closest friends his disciples, his followers, men that he will soon call friends. And tonight we look at a very intimate episode where Jesus, their leader, their teacher, their master, their Lord, is going to do something entirely unheard of for a teacher to do. And by doing so, I I want to suggest to you tonight that he is showing us something about what it means to follow him. Something that is absolutely central, as it were, to following him as well. This is not an add-on. This isn't something that you have as a side dish. It is at the very center of what it means to be a Christian. So much so that if you call yourself a Christian and it is absent from your life, you actually have cause to wonder if you're ever a Christian in the first place. That's how central it is. So it's really, really important stuff. But before we jump in, before I read, uh, will you pray with me and we'll ask God to... Actually, I'm going to read first and then we'll pray. So we'll start there. John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he had said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. For I want another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should also, also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to understand what he would have us to know tonight. Our Father, we ask that you would help us, that you would open our eyes, O Lord, that you would help us, that you would speak to us, that you would comfort us, And that you would remind us of the great mercies that come to us in Jesus. Lord, some of us have known you for quite some time. Others of us are not sure what to make of you. Wherever we're at, 
We need you tonight, and we're asking and hoping that you would teach us. So it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, um, again, sorry about all the technical difficulties tonight. But I want to start with this. In our world, in our culture, and right here even on our campus, right all the way down to our very hearts, we find a principle that is so, so at work in our lives, it's hard to see. It is, it is in every single one of us, and we rarely see it. And it would be like, to try to see it, would be like asking a fish, hey, how's the water? And the fish saying, what's water? You see? What is it? What is this thing I'm talking about? Here it is. It is that we are deeply self-oriented, self-glorifying, self-protecting creatures. We are like that old Toby Keith song, I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one. I want to do this like Robert I mean, Shatner's voice. Oh my, me, my. What I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. Right? Me, me, me. Right? In sum, when it comes down to it, the posture of my life is me over you. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that at every point along the way that every person is ever, always like that. No. I am talking about a deep abiding principle for self. The default setting of your heart and my heart, if you, were, if you, if you will, is one of intense self-protection and glorification. And you don't have to look very far into our culture to find this. The other night, um, Laura, my girlfriend, and my wife, okay, she forced me, she forced me to watch The Bachelor with her. Sorry, did that just did that just come out of my mouth? Yes. What? If for, forest might be a little strong. Might be a little strong. And as you know, if you watch this show, despite it being award-winning television, yes, there's a little bit of sarcasm in there. The entire model for the show, right, is one big cat fight. That's what it is. That's what it is. Like, listen, these are some of the quotes. Ready? Much time with Ben. I have to make my move right? Okay, listen to this one. If I get a one-on-one date, oh my gosh, that would really help me connect with Ben. I just know it. I mean, the whole thing is premised on people competing, getting an edge, going one up to what? To sort of get the affections of this guy, Ben. Unless you think, unless you think that I'm picking on these sweet, dear young ladies, I must say that the same principle is shot through my own heart too. So I cast no stones, okay? I mean, think about this the other day. I'm sorry, little three-year-old girl who wants but can't reach her apple juice in the refrigerator and who has politely asked her daddy for, for him to get it for her. I'm in the middle of checking my Twitter feed. How can you be so insensitive and so selfish? Don't you know how important Twitter is to me? It's there. What about you? Where do you find this principle deep at work in your own life? Don't you know that it lies at, the, lies at the source of never committing to anyone? Of holding out to the last moment to make plans, even though you've told four people that you would do something? Do you know as well that it's at the core of using someone sexually too? This me over them, me over you. And have you ever wondered why you can't stand someone else in that group of people? whatever the group is. 
And isn't it hard to give up your time for other people? I mean, it matters so much to me, right? And if you're a Christian, right, what leads you to disdain and to scorn other Christians on campus who are in other groups? It's there. It's real. It's in my life, and I bet it's in yours too. And I think the question that we ought to ask is, is this right? Is this the way the world should be? And if not, is there any hope for us in changing? Well, thankfully, y'all, tonight in our text, Jesus is doing something so profound at first glance, we really simply can't see it. Something that when we look at it shows that Jesus is showing us a better way, another way, a way towards life and the flourishing. Jesus is going to talk tonight Yes, about service. But, and you must see this, it's not service of any kind. No. He is talking about a service that is motivated by and rooted in love. Love. It is rooted in the good and the flourishing of others. And y'all, I want you to listen. This is neither a dispassionate or impassioned, begrudging service nor is it a feeling that's bound up within somebody. No, instead, it is a love that gets messy. It's a love that gets messy. And it's a service that is entirely costly of all that we have. In short, I think we should call it servant love. And so tonight, Jesus shows us a way out of me over you and the joy that is found there. Like the disciples, we're served by Jesus too, so that as Jesus serves us, we might be able to serve others in this love. And tonight, we're going to look, therefore, at the model, the model for servant love, the gift of servant love, and finally, the power for servant love. So let's take a look first at what I mean when I say the model of servant love. Turn your eyes there with me in verse 5. Do you see this, that Jesus took up water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet? Now, we need to take a moment and kind of reflect on what all is going on here. They're eating a meal. They're about to eat together, Jesus and his disciples, and they've gathered around the table. And in an ancient Near Eastern culture, it's not like had pe- people had closed-toed shoes. They would have had open sandals walking around in grime and dirt on their way. This is also a place where, frankly, you know, it's not like they had proper sanitation either. So the streets were very unclean, too, with trash, garbage, and even human excrement and human waste. It's a very common thing. So the idea there is that feet, even as funky as they are now, were nasty then. And Jesus, what he does is he picks up a towel and a basin to wash his friends, his followers' feet. Now, this was a task that was so menial that one commentator actually writes that it was so low a job, it was reserved for the lowest of people in any household structure, that it was so low that you couldn't even make your Jewish slaves do it. The Gentiles had to do it. That's how dirty of a thing this was. And here stands Jesus taking up the towel and basin as he begins to gently kneel and go from every one of his disciples' feet to wash and to cleanse them. Now that's telling us something. What is it telling us? A few things. One, I want you to see, first of all, that it's a costly service, that it's a costly model. The word costly is important because it meant that Jesus had to get dirty. 
He did not remain clean. Does that make sense? He took the dirt. He took the funk, as it were, off of these people's, of his friends' feet. But it also shows us the necessity, that it's necessary, that it was a necessary serving as well. Did you see this? Look with me in verse 15. He comes to Peter, right? He comes to Peter and Peter says, you're not going to, I'm paraphrasing, you're not going to wash my feet, Lord. And he looks at him and says, Peter, unless I wash your feet, you can have no share with me. You can't have anything to do with me. I must do this. It's necessary as well. Now, I want to pause there for just a moment, and I want you to see a couple of things. One, first of all, about Peter. Peter is saying, there's no way that you'll wash my feet. And I think that's incredibly telling for us. Because what does that mean? It means that deep within us is a principle that looks at Jesus and says, nope, you won't serve me. You won't serve me. And I think one of the two ways that this can get reflected is, 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 is as follows. One, we think that we are too bad for Jesus. Peter's saying, that's not a task that you're going to do for me. No, you will not wash my feet. Does that make sense? I'm too dirty for you, O oh Lord. And Jesus looks at him and he says, Peter, you don't understand. I must do this. There's also a type of, serve, of, of washing too, a way of preventing too, that says that almost has a too low a view that says, look, you don't, you don't have to wash my feet. We're really okay here. Does that make sense? We're really okay. It, it, like things aren't really that bad. Does that make sense? And here's what I want you to see tonight. Jesus must be to you the one who cleanses you. He must be the one who washes you. He must be the one. The, the way that you approach Him must be, I am, I am messy. I am a hot mess. And I think what some of us like to think, that it's this picture of, of humility to try to say, no, think, look, you don't, you don't have to do that. Like Things aren't that bad. I kind of got this. Does that make sense? I got this. And Jesus looks at you and He says, you don't understand. You don't understand. I must wash you. I must deal with, because nobody else can. I think that's very, very important for us tonight to understand and to see that we think a lot of the times it's a humble thing to be able to come across and say, things aren't that bad. Jesus doesn't really need to deal with me that much. And Jesus looks at us and says, that is the most arrogant thing that you can possibly say. So where are you tonight? Where are you? How are you relating to Jesus? Do you see him as one that must cleanse you? Now, why is this important? Because I said this as a model. This is a model for servant love. And what you must see is that Jesus is saying and telling us that the way that He serves us, we must serve one another. This is a room full of Christian leaders. That's what this is going on here. And He's particularly saying, you must love, you Christians must serve one another. You must take up the towel. You must do the dirty work of giving yourself over to the, to the beauty, to the cleanliness of your, of your friends. That's what he is saying. That is hugely, hugely important because I think we are often quite reluctant to take up the towel, to bend down, and to wash our fellow brothers and sisters, to wash their feet. It's so much easier to bicker and to get upset and to complain. Jesus is giving us a model, and he says so. He says, not only do I do this, I'm doing it so that you will love and that you will um, wash one another's feet.
I want to leave us here. I simply want to say this tonight. Some of y'all are trying to follow Jesus without giving your life away. You're trying to follow Jesus by, by not letting Him cleanse you. And Jesus relates to nobody, nobody, except people who come as messes. The only people He deals with are people who are messes. And I just want to ask you, is that the fundamental picture that you have of yourself as you come to Jesus? I think sometimes we say, look at my great record. Look how clean I am. Right? Look how much my life has got it together. Look at my great grades. Look, how, look at all the good things that I've done. Now surely you'll wash me. And Jesus says, no. No. It's the messy people that I must deal with. The model. And what that means is, is that you and me, dear ones, if we're truly to follow Jesus, we've got to be willing to get messy with other people too. All of us have roommates. All of us have friends. All of us have people in our circles that wear us out emotionally and relationally. Am I right? Yes. You, you actually might be one of those people that people go, gosh, he or her, they, they just wear me out. Welcome to the club. All of us are like that, okay? And Jesus is saying this, that we have to be the sort of people that relate to them in that way, one of service, one of kindness, one of, t- one of bowing down and bending the knee for the, better, for the betterment and for the good of our brothers and sisters. Secondly, this picture of the gift of servant love, the gift in servant love. Let's take a look here. Jesus says this in verse 17. Did you see it? He says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. Now the point I'm trying to drive home here is that Jesus says there is a gift in loving others. That's what he means when he uses the word blessed. The blessed is a word that means happiness or uh, joy. It's this picture of delight. And what Jesus is saying is, is the way that that is acquired is by giving. The way that happiness is found is by giving your life away, not by keeping it. And it's one of the most fundamental principles of what it means to be a Christian is that if you want happiness, if you want joy in life, you cannot have it by keeping your life. Does that make sense? The only way that you're ever going to find happiness and true joy in life is by spending it and by giving it away. And some of y'all know what that's like. You know the joy of giving your life away for the good of someone else, for their true good. And you're able to say, this, was, this is such a joy to me. Listen, I love this illustration. How many of y'all know the comedian Louis C.K.? Okay, that's more than I thought. Um, well, he's hilarious. hilarious. He's this balding older dude. He's older than me, so he's old. Um, because I'm still young. Um, and uh, he tells this story about around Father's Day about his challenge as being a parent. And I love it. And I want to see if this fits. I know, I doubt many, any of you are parents. Uh, but I want you to listen to what he says and see if it relates to the way that you find yourself living out your life too. So I know you're not a dad, but here it is. When my kids were younger, I used to avoid them. I used to sit on the toilet till my legs fell asleep. You want to know why your father spends so much time on the toilet? Because he's not so sure he wants to be a father. I felt like being a dad was taking away everything I ever wanted to be. And you know what? I was right. But so what? 
What's so great about our lives? What the hell is an adult without kids? What is the point? So I got off the toilet, I flushed down my personal dreams, and I decided I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to be a dad. And this is what he says. It won't take away your manhood. It will give it to you. Did you hear what he said? It won't take it away. It'll give it to you. And I think this, y'all, Jesus is saying the exact same thing. He is saying the very thing that we fear losing, that we fear losing if we were to love one another, if we were to serve one another, if I had to give my life away, I'm losing my life. And what he's saying, what Jesus is saying, the only way that you can gain it and keep it in the first place is what? By giving it away. That's the principle here that Jesus is trying to drive home in the way that we must live and love and serve one another. This is so hard for us because we say, well, I can't do that. It's too costly of my time. And Jesus says, I know it is. And you must do it. He said, I can't do that. That's too costly of my resources. I mean, I'm broke as a joke anyways. And Jesus says, I know you are, but you must do it. You see, that you do not know how needy people are. And Jesus says, I'm married to all of y'all. Yes, I do. This is sobering for me because I don't like to get my hands dirty. How about you? Can I suggest tonight, come join me. Let's be a community here on campus that is known for giving their lives away so that other people might find life. And guess who else might? You and me. There's real joy on the backside. There is a gift in this sort of servant love. And I want to suggest to you tonight that there's more to this story as well. Because you see, not only is Jesus telling us and showing us a model, a model for this servant love, nor is He only saying that there's a gift on the backside of it. There is blessedness that comes. I want to suggest to you tonight that if all I do is leave you there tonight, you will feel despair. Because all I've told you to go do is to go love people harder. To go try harder out there. To go give your lives away. And you know what? You will fail at doing it. And you will be miserable in six weeks if you try to do it. And so we need something more. And that's why Jesus is actually going to show us the power. The power the means by which we're actually able to deploy and to live out this sort of servant love. So let's take a look, lastly, at this picture of the power for servant love. You'll catch it there in verses 1 where Jesus says, where John says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come, whenever John talks about hour, do you know what he's referring to? He's referring to His death. That's what it means. So Jesus is knowing now that His death is coming. And again in verse 3, did you see it? Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God, and here it is, and He was going back to God. And lastly there in verse 7, you see it as well. He says this. He says, um, Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward, referring to His death, you will understand. Jesus is showing this, this, that the power for the servant love must come in Jesus' death for us. Let me put it like this. Jesus says in another part of Scripture 
In Mark 10, 45, I'm just scrolling up ahead to the main point so you can see him. He says this, that for the Son of Man, referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I just want to, I want to pull that apart for a second and say this. He served how? How did Jesus serve? By giving his life. By giving his life away. That is the way that he went about serving you and me. And why is this so important, y'all? Listen. I want you to understand that if all you do is look to Jesus as an example or as a model for the way for you to live your life, if all Jesus is for you is an example, you will know very, very quickly what despair and what fatigue and what pride looks like. Let me spell it out a little bit. You're going, what? What are you talking about, Ryan? Listen to me. I'm very, very serious about this. You need Jesus to be more than an example. And what this text is telling us is that Jesus is your substitute. And unless you see Jesus as your substitute, the one who will go to the cross, the one who will die for you, that will serve you by giving His life up for you, because you and me deserve that death. But Jesus says, no, I will stand in for you. That's the whole reason why He came. Unless you see Jesus as your substitute first, you will always be worn out. And here's why. Are you ready for this? Listen. The gospel, the gospel that Jesus Christ came and died for us gives us power in that it tells us that God forgives failures. You see, you will be so despairing if you think that you must go out and that you must try to serve in this way. You will not have it in the tank because what will happen? You can't do it perfectly. You just can't. And so at the end of the day, you're going to come up short and you're going to say, I am such a failure. I'm not able to live up to the standards that God is asking me to live at. And what am I to do? And that's why you need the gospel. That's why you need the good news. Why? Because Jesus tells us that in his death, his death forgives failures. He meets failures there. And he gives fresh grace and forgiveness. Despair. I can't do it. I don't know what else to do. I'm worn out. I'm fatigued, right? Some of y'all know that right now. I talk to more students who are absolutely burned out because they think that the way to get Jesus to love them is to go full throttle and He'll look down and see my full throttleness and He'll finally be pleased, but they've been going full throttle for too long and they're like, I'm done with it. I'm done with all this. Listen, the Gospel comes there. The Gospel comes there and says this, Come. Come to me. Come to me and find rest. Come to me and find rest. You think this whole thing is about you trying to perform for me? You can't do it anyways without me. You think, you think this whole thing is about trying to bring some sort of perfect record for me? Listen, I don't, I'm not looking at your record in the first place. I'm looking at Jesus's. So there's freedom to rest. And lastly, this idea of pride. See, some of you will go out and you'll nail it, right? You'll actually do this. And you'll look around and you'll see everybody else that's not doing it, and you know what you're going to do? You're going to look down on them and scorn. And you'll be so full of pride, you'll say, look how awesome I am, why do you suck? And the Gospel comes to us and reminds us this, dear friend, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what it took for Jesus to forgive you? He had to die for you. 
That's how bad off you actually were. So let's be real careful about how we look down on other people because you got nothing to stand on in the first place. The gospel simultaneously, listen, it's beautiful. This is what the gospel does. The gospel simultaneously brings forgiveness for our failure. It brings rest for our fatigue. And then lastly, it shatters all pride that wells up in our heart and frees us and frees us. Listen, I need to wind down, but I wanted to say one more thing. In the end, there is only one thing that has the capacity to turn our hearts away from ourselves to other people, to love them like Jesus has loved us. It is the gospel, y'all. It is the gospel. The gospel is something so incredibly different than religious performance. Listen, I have to say this because some of y'all are hearing me say gospel and you're thinking, get God to love you through your religious performance. That's not what I'm saying. It's something utterly distinct. Utterly different. It's not even a religion. It's not. Because it's not about religious performance. Long ago, the prophet Ezekiel spoke of God doing a radical work in the hard hearts of people. Those people who are turned away from Him and others and turned in on themselves. He didn't come, y'all, to reform our hearts. Jesus didn't come to inspire our hearts. No, we needed something else, something more. And so, Jesus came to remove our hearts and to give us new ones. That's the promise of the gospel. This is exactly what Jesus does. You see, on the cross, Jesus died a lowly death. It was not that of a king, but of a criminal. He served us all the way to the end, y'all. There was never a greater display of you over me. Of you over me, not me over you in all of history. And because He served us in death, we have been freed with new hearts, with new power to go out and to serve others. His death, His death has meant that we now might live to serve others. He says, go, go over and over and again. And when you do, on the backside, on the backside, you will not lose your life, but you will gain it. You will find it. But in so doing, in so doing, there'll be real joy as well. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You that You do this for us in Jesus, that You wash us, that You cleanse us, that You invite us in. Oh Lord, convict us once again of our pride that says we don't need You. Convict us once again of how much You have gone, the great lengths that You have gone to, to rescue us and to cleanse us and to call us Your own. You are so kind. You are so kind to do this to us. We deserve none of it. And you welcome us home. You welcome us home. Thank you for calling us your friends. Thank you for loving us in this way. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.